Welcome to Laptop Gurus from 23, the podcast which aims to go beyond the headlines with the help of expert guests and proper analysis. My name's Tom Bedell, and today I'm joined by Lucy Rushton, Head of Technical Recruitment and Performance Analysis at Major League Soccer franchise Atlanta United. Lucy, thanks for joining us today at what must be a very busy time for you. First and foremost, how are you? Yeah, breathe. Like, it's that point of the season where, you know, we're, we're, we're in our pre-season at the moment um, and we're coming up to, to the season starting. So um, everything's just kind of coming to a head in terms of player recruitment and um, bringing the new players in, um, plus doing the pre-season prep. So you kind of get that little little tiny window just before a season starts where you feel like you've got everything ready and you're in order so calm before the storm absolutely probably the most exciting time of the year and probably a little bit terrifying with everything ahead of you as well we're going to talk about your kind of entire career over the course of this episode of laptop gurus from the start uh, to the, the current day at the mls champions in 2018 atlanta united uh, and your own kind of interest and, and relationship with data and analytics and, and how that helps put a winning team on the field. So the first question, very simply, I wanted to ask Lucy is how did you start in football? Where did it all begin for you? How did it all begin? Um, it started when I was actually doing my um, my undergrad um, and for, as part of my dissertation um, for my undergrad degree, um, I had to, or I chose to do something in performance analysis um, and I'd never really come across the concept before, didn't know it was really a thing um, and I'd done my, done my dissertation and um, uh, somebody approached me, uh, it was moderated and the moderator um, suggested to me, hey, like, you know, your, your, exact, your, your dissertation is very good, I think you should consider doing the, the sports performance analysis masters at UIC. Um and kind of on a whim went and done that off the back of what he said. So at that point, I didn't even know it was a, a thing. I didn't know you could do it. Um, so I got my kind of uh, went and done my master's at UIC. And that's where I got kind of my work experience as well. So um, I worked with Cardiff City um, Academy um, in that year that I was doing my master's. Uh, and that really set the ball rolling for me. Um, a, obviously, to get the to get the degree and to to learn the underpinning of it all, obviously, through education, but then to work with a team as well and start to put it into practice um, that really kind of got the ball rolling um, so from there I then um, done a bit of work with the English FA as well um, with some of their teams um, and then ultimately got um, my first job offer uh, at Watford um, and that was in player recruitment so um, yeah it was kind of a combination of, of the degree which obviously gave me say the, the theoretical underpinning and gave me access to some of the tools that are used um, used in the industry, um, but then also complementing that with with the work experience and meeting people and um, you know kind of getting your name out there that that you were an analyst ready to ready to go into the field. So yeah, got my first job at Watford and um, and never looked back from there. An interesting time to be at Watford. I'm a Watford fan, and I can remember. AD Booth, that kind of era, I think, was, you know, really brought kind of Watford into the modern day, I suppose. He was a big one, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying, for, for Prozone and, and, and kind of tools like that. How, how did you, that kind of come about and what, what was it like working at, um, working at a professional football club at, at, that, at that time? Yeah, as you said, like Watford at the time were very much, um, uh, very much on the fringe of promotion. They were one of the favourites to go up that season. Um, and when I joined, they were actually in a really healthy position um, and then suffered um, from a, a bit of drop of form um, in the second half of the season. And we ended up not we ended up not going up. Um, and, um, you know, it was a lot of pressure and it was to, to go into your first job um, and, and face that kind of pressure in that situation ultimately was a was a good thing for me because it set me up for for things to come. Um, but, yeah, of course, it was. It was uh, difficult to find your feet in a time when all that mattered was was winning, um, and obviously the intensity and the pressure of the environment like just added to um, added to the the natural stress of being in a new job. Um, so it it was it was testing, you know. Like Aidy Bruford was great, um, and it was unfortunate how it ended um, in that you know ultimately we didn't get promoted and. Um, AD lost his job off the back of that and uh, it, it goes to show just like it showed me straight away the kind of um, intensity of, of 
football um, and in terms of the the harsh nature of it um, and and the pressure that goes along with with working in a first team environment. Um, you know, up until that point, everything I had done was, was either like youth team, so academies, or or even like with the FA, it was very much kind of working with their their younger age groups. And so then to go straight to first team and face that pressure was. Um, yeah, it was a learning curve for sure, but I think it set me up for for the rest of my career and what I ultimately then went on to at Reading um, and here at Atlanta. What did your What was your day to day responsibilities then at Watford? What What was uh, what, what was your actual remit? Yeah, so Watford say I was player recruitment analyst. Um, so that basically involved watching you know players that we were uh, potentially interested in to acquire, and then presenting. Um, video analysis and statistical analysis on those players um, and kind of date like doing things like databasing players of interest, um, monitoring them players in the system and then ultimately say um, presenting recommendations uh, and presenting reasons behind those recommendations via video and data um, to uh, to technical director or the, uh, the coaching staff. So uh, yeah, it was very much kind of high-end stuff um, and uh, say it was a great experience for me because it really was heavily involved in uh, in player recruitment at the highest level. Um, so it really kind of got me to work with the coaching staff, but also with, um, say, a technical director or somebody in that kind of higher role. Um, so to start to try and learn how to communicate with, with two totally different kind of sets of people and groups of people. Um, so yeah, that's my day to day there, um, and uh, you know it was it was very much on the scouting side of things, um, say player recruitment. I did have um, a really good kind of interaction with the the first team analyst there, um, a guy called Mick Court, um, and uh, and his number two Neil, um, and we worked really hard to kind of try and build our own like in house analysis system, um, which for me was 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 priceless at the time to work with someone of Mick's caliber. Um, so, so experienced and so thorough in his work um, and to be able to kind of learn from him um, uh, and work alongside him was was great so that really gave me a good a good drive for going forwards and it really kind of set the benchmark for me of where like analysis needed to be working a period of time like that it feels like to me clubs were kind of gradually wising up to different approaches and moving away from, you know, who you know, little black books of, of contacts for managers and so on. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, having a technical director there and so on and so forth. How important were those relationships and how imperative was it that the the, the manager and, and so on are bought into that way of recruitment and, 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 and kind of different things uh, in the first place? Yeah, um, at the time it was it was still evolving and still growing very much. You know, the the analysis industry was still very young, um, and it wasn't by any stretch of the imagination where it is now. So, for a team to have a, a player recruitment analyst at that time was still probably quite a rarity. Um, and yeah, building that relationship of trust with with not only the the coaching staff but with the scouts as well, who obviously at the time felt like you were coming to take their job um you know like oh okay well this analyst well you know and that's that's where i think the 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 difficulties arise when it's not really communicated properly that as an analyst i'm not here to take your job i'm i'm here to complement what you do um and that really was the key in breaking down some of those barriers um and in gaining gaining the trust and and just gaining the respect of those people um and you know we worked hard to, to do that at Watford and you know I've worked hard to do that throughout my career um in terms of just building those relationships and and not being a threat to those people um you know it's it's never a case where analysis is never ever going to replace the subjective viewing of a player um but it can help uh raise important questions support um, and ultimately just reduce the risk um, of making a bad sign-in. So, um, yeah, for me, the communication of that was key. Um, and, yeah, of course, to get the buy-in, not only from, from the scouts and stuff, but from, um, from your, your coach, it was big because ultimately, you know, if you're, if you're presenting players to him, you know, based on data and he has no, 
uh, no backing or no interest in that, it's going to be very quick to just turn the page. Um, but fortunately for me, you know, AD, AD was open to it. Um, and as a club, it was very well positioned to, to, to push that forwards. And, um, you know, I think we've done it well. And I think, uh, you know, AD probably working with, say, as I said, before Mick Court with the first team, um, AD working with him probably had, had gained already a trust in, in analysis through his relationship with Mick, which then opened kind of doors up for, okay, well, hey, let's do this with the player recruitment process as well. It sounds to me, I think you've sort of semi-answered this, but it does sound to me like Watford and at the time and AD Boothroyd as a manager at that point were perhaps a little bit ahead of the game compared to other clubs. Is, is, is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, when I look back at where, where clubs were in that period, um, I mean, now it's commonplace for, for teams to have a recruitment analyst and to have, you know, f- multiple first team analysts. Um, but, you know, what we were doing at Watford and how we were doing it, I think at the time, you know, was uh, was ahead of the game and was quite innovative, especially in terms of the two kind of areas, say the the kind of the work I was doing with Mick and building out our own analysis model, um, but also then just having a player recruitment analyst. I think that was still very, um, you know, very rare at the time. And I've seen it progress massively over the last 10, 15 years. Um, and now it's it's a fundamental role throughout through most clubs. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that at the time we were pretty kind of um, forward thinking as a club and, and really at the forefront of growing and developing analysis. And from a from purely indulgent point of view, and I'll let you off if you, you don't want to answer, but were there any recommendations that you made through your work that, you know, came to fruition and really paid off? And, and, and conversely, players that maybe didn't come to Watford and, and went on to have good careers that you could say, you know, I was, you know, keen on the, that player in the, in the at the time? I've got to be honest and say, off the top of my head, it was so long ago, I, I, I can't remember too much. I will say, though, that we didn't, um, I do remember us not having a very big, um, a very big uh, transfer kitty to play with. We were, we were, I mean, I joined, I joined, you know, during a January transfer window. Um, and so, you know, you're expecting, you know, to be to be heavy in the market. But I do remember us being um, being told quite early on that business would be would be very uh, restricted. Your next stop was Reading, obviously Medeski, and you were there for quite a while, seven years. I hope I'm right in saying uh, held various roles, I think, starting as a senior performance analyst, working your way up to head of technical scouting. What kind of prompted that? move and, and and how different was uh, your remit at Reading to Watford? Yeah so I went to Reading as a first team performance analyst as you said there and um, you know that was really the nitty-gritty day-to-day working with the with the first team um, and providing feedback on our own team um, uh, whether that be pre-match or post-match um, and you know pre-match it was really heavily focused on opposition analysis um, which is just you know, quite possibly the most time-consuming job in the world um, because there's always more footage you can watch and there's always more questions you have and more scenarios. So um, it kind of, that was, um, say, very much first team. Um, and, you know, you're travelling with the team all the time. You're Especially in the championship, you know, you are you could be away from home and then get back at three o'clock, um, three o'clock on a Wednesday morning and then you have to go and travel again on Friday to play again on Saturday to get back again at two o'clock in the morning on Sunday. Um, and I think, you know, over the, over the course of probably like the six years, six and a half years, that I've done that. Um, it, it does, it, it plays a part on, on you, like in terms of just uh, your energy and your, your kind of, you'll get up and go because it's, it's the long seasons and it can be draining. Um, so I think at the time, and it's funny, you see, if you look at the careers of a lot of analysts, most of them will, will start in first team. You get a lot of like young to mid kind of 20s um, people in the fir- working with the first team. And then typically as people get to their 30s, um, they go, OK, I'll transition into scouting now. Um, and the, the main difference really is that the, the, the travel um, isn't as intense as as when you're working um when you're working with a first team um because you're you're more office based and you know that can be diff- obviously as a scout if you're 
if you're a recruitment analyst who is there more so for the scouting side of things, you're going to be traveling to games. And, you know, I've certainly done that. But um, in my role currently now, where it's more data driven for, for analysis purposes, um, it's very much more kind of office based and you just get a bit more kind of um, home time, as it were, um, as opposed to kind of being away um, on the road all the time. So, um, yeah, that was probably like a reason for, for change. Um, uh, also, it was just like a natural progression because having done opposition analysis on pretty much the same league for six years, um, you, you are an absolute kind of Bible of knowledge on the players and the teams within that within that league um, and within the country, ultimately. So you are in a really well-positioned place to start making recommendations on certain types of players or comparing players or offering other other alternatives if, if option A doesn't work out or as a comparison. And you're really well-positioned just to, to start to go into player recruitment. So, yeah, I think a lot of analysts transition over as well because their skill set naturally then lends them to being really effective in that role. Um, so yeah, that was for me at the time. There was a couple of things um, that kind of made me think it was a a, a, a good kind of career path at that time. Um, but absolutely loved my time working with first team. Like, and you miss it. Like, you as much as as much as there are kind of like, oh yeah, you don't miss the the incredibly long journeys and late nights. Like, you miss the the the, the dressing room and the banter of the players and the group and. Um, the team kind of ethos and just being together as a group like that, you you make friends for life and you become a really tight kind of knit group. So you naturally miss that kind of like camaraderie and, and and there's no better than winning a game, no better feeling than winning a game of football when you're working, you know, that closely with the first team. So um, yeah, it was it was an unbelievable kind of six six and a half years for me and. Um, learn a lot from it um, and especially learn a lot from all the coaches that I got to work with um, and I think that then say put me in good stead for for the next phase of my career. And by the time you left you were head of technical scouting what what did that mean uh, in, in layman's terms? Pretty much the same role that I'd done at Watford just with a slightly different name um, uh, so it was very much about using data to identify players and to assess players of interest um, and then say using data to do statistical reports that you would then present to whether it be the the, the coach or technical director um, for the board members. It was really about kind of doing our due diligence on on players from a statistical point of view um, and using even da- using data to identify players obviously as well. Um, so uh, yeah, very much similar to to what I done at Watford in terms of um, moving away from directly working with the first team to actually looking at bringing players into the club. I don't know if this is a, a question that even needs to be asked, but do you have a preference in the sense of doing that side of things where you're, you know, identifying potential uh, signings for, for, for the club or or the other side where you're, you know, looking at performance analysis, doing performance analysis, be it on your club or oppose, you know, analysing opposing teams? Or do you, do you love it all equally? Yeah, I do love it all equally. Um, yeah, each of them has their own little kind of uh, bits to them that you enjoy. Um, and uh, for me, like scouting analysis or recruitment analysis goes hand in hand with with first team analysis because if you don't know the numbers for your for what you already got in the club, how can you know if what you're bringing in is better or worse? Um, so those two can go hand in hand. Um, I will say that I probably don't miss opposition analysis um, because it is just, yeah, it is just so intense and so it is just like all consuming. Um, And while the end product and when you put your report down and your video down is, is, you know, you get a real kind of sense of satisfaction from that. um, It is just, you then know that you've got, Hey, you haven't even got time to enjoy getting it done because you're on to the next game. Um, and I think, you know, working in the championship probably didn't help that because, you know, the games in that league are like two a week, three a week. Um, and to have to analyse teams to the level we did in the short, in that space of time. Yeah, it was just unforgiving. So um, I probably 
would say that that is the side of the job that I least miss um, the most. What sort of tools were you using at that point? What sort of uh, data sources was, I presume Opt is going to be one of the answers, but what was around in, in those days? I presume by comparison nowadays, there's a, a plethora of different things. And also I imagine there's an element of gathering your own data, right? For sure. So when I started back at, at Reading, it was Prozone that we used for, for first team analysis. And, you know, that was very much really the, the only thing you, you would use um, to do your to do your generic analysis, i.e. where companies collect data for you and they collect data for all of the other teams as well. Um, we also complemented that, as you just said, then with with our own in-house analysis. And uh, so we used sport co- sports code for that, which is pretty much a mainstay now throughout most clubs in England. Um, it does have competition and there are other products out there, but um, it's, it's called Huddle Sports Code now. But um, yeah, Sports Code at the time was massive for being able to sit down and code our own games in-house, whether it be live during the game so that we can provide feedback to the coaching staff like at halftime um, or post-match using it to review and go back um, and clip and make video and make presentations through that um so sports code was massive and is fundamentally like the most used kind of product in terms of in-house coding at any football club um uh, but then as i said prozone that did then evolve um in the kind of later years i was at reading um to opta um so that's when we then went down to the opta route and nowadays um, there are multiple, say, different options to that. StatsBomb is a great one. Um, but you, what you're seeing now is the development more of, um, of or on the physical side of things. So companies that will provide you um, with multiple angles of the game, whether it be like a panoramic view or a tactical wide angle, which then sits alongside an absolute um, an amazing amount of physical data but also more in-depth tactical insights. So because they've got the physical data and the the XY coordinates of every player and the positioning of everybody, what they can do from a data perspective is so much more advanced. Um, So you sit, there are just a number of companies now which provide say player tracking and technical data solutions. uh, and you're also seeing the growth of other things as well. So like annotation tools, um, so tools to actually, you know, um, vi- make your video uh, more visual. And you see that on, on Sky Sports, you know, if you watch Sunday night football, or Monday night football, and you see um, you see uh, Gary Neville or whatever, like drawing on the on the video, um, you know, those programs, um, one of them is called Coach Paint. Um, those programs are, are you know, f- are fundamentally kind of important in, in, in most teams and most clubs because it, it makes the it makes your video and it makes your data or whatever more more visual to the players and to the coaches. Um, so the tools that have come along have just been just seen massive growth for over the last ten years. And say when I got into it at the start, it was so much in its infancy analysis that it had room to develop and grow. Um, and as we go on now, we're just going to see more products coming out, coming up with smarter analysis, um, more kind of computer-generated um, analysis. Um, whereas you know, back at the start and even Opta, that's a lot of manual coding. Um, so the way that Opta generate their data is through, say, you have, I think it's two people that one does the home team, one does the away team, and they're doing it live and they're coding the game. Um, what you're seeing now is obviously computer generated AI um, kind of coding of games. So obviously that opens it, it opens itself up to more games being done, but also smarter analysis on, on kind of um, computerized kind of uh, data points. So uh, it's really grown massively and say the number of products out there now um, is insane. You know, I get an email every day from a new company or another company asking me to to have a look at their product and, and, and see if it's, see if, you know, how we rate it. So uh, yeah, it's continuing to grow and I, I, I think it will continue to grow for the foreseeable future too. Yeah, one of the things I was going to ask you is, kind of predictions for the future but we'll, we'll come to that in a bit 
in the meantime, we'll take a very short break and we'll be back to talk about your move to across the pond to Atlanta United and everything that's followed. So don't go anywhere. Hi, I'm Jamie Carragher and you're listening to Laptop Gurus from... 23. Welcome back to Laptop Gurus. Today we're joined by Lucy Rushton, who is Head of Technical Recruitment and Performance Analysis at Major League Soccer's Atlanta United. And it's there where we're going to pick up the story. Having worked exclusively in England to this point, Lucy, their move to the States and, and to you know a league that is very much on the up and Obviously, a, a franchise at the time that was, you know, in its infancy. What, uh, what kind of enticed you to make that move? How, how did it come about? That was a big decision for me. Um, coming, yeah, coming out of English football um, uh, was was a tough decision to make because um, so many people felt that it was when you go into America, like you know, you're coming out of English football. That's this is this is the be all and end all English football. Um, so to move away from that was quite daunting. Um, but what attracted me to this league was the things you just mentioned. Um, you know, it's an up and coming league, and I look at it now five years on from when I joined it, and the numbers in terms of you know viewers and fans for, for for clubs and and even the trajectory of players from this league has just kind of rocketed. Um, so it is, it has grown and that was something which at the time I thought it would be exciting to be part of a league in that kind of ilk. Um, but for me, the, the big thing was, was say the, the franchise I was going to, which was Atlanta United. Um, I was pretty much, you know, given the opportunity to, to build a football team from scratch. You know, at that time it was there, we had Atlanta United had a year, a year and about, about a year and three months before we started, we entered the league. Um, so we had that time to, and at the time we had no zero players um, that were signed to the roster. Um, so it was literally here's an opportunity to to go somewhere and build a whole team that is going to compete in in MLS from scratch. Um, and for me, that was just an opportunity you couldn't turn down because you know they're very few and far between. Um, and you know I looked at what Atlanta was building. I looked at the stadium that they were building, which. If you haven't seen it, um, please do, you know, go and check it out because, you know, having worked in England and been to a lot of, you know, the big stadiums and been to a lot of big games, um, I can say that this stadium here is is like one of the best, if not the best in the world. Um, and the atmosphere at, at Atlanta United Games is insane. Um, and I was kind of presented this vision of, you know, what, what the club wanted to build, um, what the training ground was going to be like, what the the ethos was of the owner and how he was um, going to invest in this and really kind of uh, try and win things. And, you know, for me, that was just like, wow, how can, how can you turn that opportunity down to go somewhere with, with such ambition and actually get the chance to kind of be a part of it from, from the off? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what attracted me to it. It was daunting to leave English football because of the profile of English football and, you know, why would anyone kind of turn down the opportunity to work in either the Premier League or the Championship? Like, um, but yeah, for me at the time, it just seemed like um, like an opportunity I couldn't turn down. Yeah, certainly when you spell it out like that, it certainly sounds it. You mentioned obviously the stadium there and the Mercedes-Benz uh, Stadium, incredible facility, as you say, and shared with the the Falcons in the NFL obviously owner uh, is the same Arthur Blank how does that kind of work the the sharing of knowledge between is you know is there any crossover in terms of knowledge in terms of best practice and you know all anything i suppose between the kind of the the NFL franchise and the the soccer franchise and the, the staff and so on or is it kind of kept very very separate it's kept very separate in sense of like obviously we work in completely different areas like where the falcon staff and all of that is all based is is actually quite far away from from atlanta united and our training ground um 
is there a crossover though between like you know the the analysts here i.e me and the analysts at the falcons um yes we've spoken um and we've tried to you know share um you know share ideas really because what i think is difficult to do in football is to share i share ideas within the group because everyone's trying to beat each other and wants to have the have the edge um where you can learn massively is from other sports um and so for me to be able to tap into the resources that the falcons had um and see like okay as analysts what do you do here um that was great um but then i've also done the same thing with you know um the the atlanta hawks so the uh, atlanta hawks or um the baseball team um i kind of cannot remember their I cannot remember their 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 name for the life of me, uh, but the Atlanta baseball team um, uh, and with their basketball team as well. Um, and so, from speaking to people in those sports, you get a real good like diff- totally different way of working because they have totally different resources um, externally and internally. Um, and so, to actually pick the brains of those people, and you know, they're more open to sharing because you're not a threat to them in their sport. Um, so to be able to kind of kind of learn off of those people and share ideas with those people has been really useful. But um, yeah, within the Falcons as well, you know, we have a really strong analysis department there. Um, so for me to be able to kind of pick the brains of those people as well um, w- was really helpful. But general day-to-day, we're, we're very separate. Um, there's not too much crossover between the two. That's really interesting. I, I just I wondered because I read a piece uh, prior to the Super Bowl about how many of the recent kind of teams that have been to the Super Bowl or, or won the Super Bowl. I can't quite remember which. You know, have a, a soccer uh, interest as well. Or, you know, maybe not a controlling stake, but some sort of financial interest. In it, you know, that it's quite a high number. And I just wondered, you know, how much crossover there is. Yeah, that's the, between the two. And you say, yeah, maybe not physically, but in terms of best practice or sharing of knowledge or you know learning from one another there's there's there must be something there right it's between successful franchises so that's really interesting um the the you talked talk about sort of building building a franchise putting a team on the field very much from you know from the the bottom up how how on earth did that kind of work what was uh, I suspect the full answer could take several days, but at a high level, how how did you actually go about that as as an organisation? Uh, yeah, the start point for us really was to 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 get a team identity um, to say, okay, well, as as a club, what do we want our ethos to be? What do we want our playing style to be? How do we want people to to know us? Um, and once we'd kind of established that. We were able then to go, okay, so positionally, if we want to play like that, what are the requirements of each position? Um, uh, you know, what do we what do we demand of a fullback? What do we demand of a, a number eight, a 10? You know, what fate formation are we going to be playing in? Um, and so from, from that, we can then go away and go, right, we know what we're looking for. We know the type of player that we need in each position. Um, so, and we know the money that we have to spend in each position roughly um, because obviously that that changes and fluctuates depending on the exact players you bring in Um, but having those fundamentals of a style of a team ethos and team style of play um, and then the positional profiles within that it gave us massive direction in terms of our player recruitment and scouting Um, so that really laid the foundations for us to go away and and not just do produce data analysis on it because obviously when you say subjectively we want a player who can do xyz it's then much easier for for me as an analyst to say okay well i can now produce you a list of players that are best in those criteria um, rather than just approaching it from a complete open field Um, that really did allow us to then identify players of a certain profile that could fit what we had spoken about all along which was how do we want this team to play? Um, so from a statistical point of view, but obviously from a, a video point of view as well, where you just know subjectively what you're looking for. Um, and you're all on the same page in terms of, okay, well, what's more important to us? Uh, pace or strength? What's more important to us? Um, being able to, to, to play out from the back or being able to just defend? Um, you know, those kind of things really 
gave us direction in terms of what we were looking for and made sure that we were all on the same page when we're going away and and seeing a player for the first time we would come up with the same conclusion as to whether that player was worth looking at further or not um so yeah that was that was really how it how we got the ball rolling with it the the biggest and best thing we could have done i think was to to start building the jigsaw um, was to get the first important piece of that puzzle in place, um, which we done with um, with with a player Vialba, Tito Vialba, um, and once you've got that first piece in place, you can then somewhat build around them, and you start to then know that okay, because we've spent X amount of cap money and got a a young designated player in in that position that then has a knock-on effect to all the other positions and starts to just give you a bit more direction in all the other positions. Um, so yeah, getting the first piece of the jigsaw was massive for us, um, uh, but we were just totally driven by our philosophy and our playing style and the positional profiles within that. You mentioned the, you know, fitting everything in within the salary cap. There are obviously myriad rules. Uh, we won't bore people going into the details, but you can, you can read up about it if you so wish. How much getting used to did that take how difficult how different does that make your job you know coming from England where they you know can pretty much do what you want within reason yeah yeah I mean you've hit the nail on the head there like in England basically you know the transaction seems um you know there's still a lot of snags that can happen and it seems difficult when you're in England um uh, but you know the, the transaction happens if a you know club a wants to to buy a player B club B or yeah club B wants to sell the player and then C the player w- wants to go. Um, so as long as you tick those three boxes, um, y- you're going to make something happen. Um, over here, there are like 30, 40 boxes you have to tick um, for the player to get through the door, um, and the the rules are just just incredible. Um, and as an analyst and coming over here from English football. Yes, it was a massive challenge to adapt to that and and to say, okay, well, you know, you can't. It's not just a case of being able to go and buy who, or that's a good player, so we want him, and we've got an owner who, you know, is very uh, willing to invest in the team, so would have done that. You can't do it because we have to operate under the cap rules and under the other rules of MLS. Um, so it was a massive learning curve, and I've always kind of said that. Or felt that you know, no matter what industry you're in 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 football in England, whether you're a, a coach or an analyst or a sports scientist or um, head of medicine, whatever it is, um, coming to MLS and coming to America will will push you and challenge you in your skill set because of the the completely unique and different nature of of the league. Um, and yeah, and you see it with coaches when they come here. So you know, coaches who come here from you know, leagues where, or pretty much any other league in the world where they haven't had that restriction of a cap, it takes them time to to adjust and to realise that we can't, as much as we might want to, we can't just keep throwing money at it because we're we're just totally, we're just physically not allowed to. Um, so, coaches, I think, have certainly a learning period in that sense too of what is available to them and, and how the front office can support them. Um, so, yeah, it's it was a massive learning curve. Luckily for me, I did have a bit of time to, to kind of adjust at the start. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was pretty much just you had to pick it up and, and go with it and ask a lot of questions and, you know, say, well, what, you know, why can't that happen? And we, you know, we were lucky. We have, um, we have Paul McDonough here um, who... Um, who manages the cap for us and knows this league absolutely inside out. So to be able to kind of speak to him and, and ask him questions about the whys and the why nots and all of that, it's it was, you know, really helpful at the time. Um, and even now I have to get my, my MLS handbook out and go back over the rules sometimes and say, well, you know, what, what was that again? Um, so, yeah, totally different experience to, to, to English football for sure. And it makes you think, oh, my God, just signing a player in England is so easy. Um, 
which you know which any technical director in england will tell you is not the case um but this experience makes you feel like it is <laughs> yes i can well imagine I, i'm glad you said that about the handbook i had visions of you swatting up prior to moving over on all the rules the massive book every re- bedtime uh prior to prior to bed reading i can imagine probably quite quite dry subject matter but it had to be done talk to us about the identity and the the culture of Atlanta United. I suspect a lot of this was probably, um, you know, well established at the time of, of your arrival. But I'm, I'm sure it has a, a big impact in in what you do and and, and affects your your recruitment uh, responsibilities as well. Yeah. So I mean, for me, that is absolutely fundamental. It's it's, it's an absolute like to set that at the start was just the best thing we could have done because as i said it gave us so much direction um for the players we acquire um and it's almost like that ethos then is known throughout the club and the people you work alongside um kind of fit that too um and i've got i've got to say that Atlanta united when they were bringing their staff in their backroom staff to build this club everyone was like top draw like every person you saw coming through the door had an incredible background in whatever they were doing um, and were bringing that with them. And you saw it and it created a really kind of um, a really great environment of driven, driven people, but good, honest people, too. Um, and so that environment that we created as a staff, because we had no players at that time, um, that environment that we created as a staff then you're able to kind of like filter that down to, to your expectations of the players um, and of the coaching staff. Um, and it was it was just in, incredible to, to see it develop as a club um, and to see that ethos then spread throughout the whole the whole backroom staff, you know, everyone behind the scenes at Atlanta United, um, the energy that everyone brings. I, I've always said that the, the club has done an incredible job at, at you know, hiring people with just an incredible energy and enthusiasm for their job. Um, and then, say, on the pitch, um, having that ethos, um, it was just, it was evident for us straight away. Um, and that was ultimately through our, you know, our recruitment and scouting, which we had identified players of the ilk that we needed. Um, and you say, it just, you could see it straight away on the pitch, um, which, you know, is difficult for a team that hasn't been, you know, I remember meeting up for pre-season training on the first day, um, late January, and I think the end of the, the I think the MLS season started, you know, the first week of March, um, and you know that first day of training, every single person was new to each other, um, you know, and it was just a group of people just thrown into a room and like, right, go, we need to make a team out of this, um, and so to, for us to then put a product onto the pitch in in you know, let's say five weeks time that. You know, five weeks ago, none of these people had even met, let alone you know play football together. Um, it was it was really incredible, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that we had such a clearly defined team and club ethos. And a big part of that is the kind of the South American feel to the club, the the, the recruitment, obviously in, in kind of Latin America, um, the poster boys for that, obviously Miguel Almiron and and Joseph Martinez. They've, been plenty of others there are plenty of others how important to the model is it that you see someone like Almiron thriving now in in a top five European league I'm I'm assuming it's the sort of thing that kind of feeds you know feeds the the model going forward in the success of those that have gone before is is a big factor for anyone that you're you're trying to persuade to come to the to uh, to Atlanta a hundred percent yeah absolutely massive and I know that that is a massive like everyone in MLS now it feels still looks at Miguel and what he's doing in the Premier League um, because ultimately it we need interest in the league. We need players to move on from this league to to Europe for not only us to sustain our model and show that, you know, the model here works, but for the league to grow. Um, and then the league growing is going to entice bigger and better players to come to it, which is then going to help us increase the salary cap and increase the ability of teams to go and buy bigger and better players. Um, so the success of a player like Miguel um, going to going to England and and being successful there is kind of twofold in that, you know, for Atlanta United personally as a club, 
it was massive um, because it gave it showed that the model worked, um, but more so just for MLS as a league as a whole. Um, and say it's it's funny to see, but you know not only the Atlanta United fans continually like retweet Newcastle's posts when you know anything about Miguel is is mentioned, but it's it's on MLS as well. If you look at MLS.com, like they'll still track those players and say keep you updated on their progress kind of thing. So, yeah, for us personally, it was huge because it just vindicated everything we had set out to do at the start, um, which was, you know, to buy young South American talent um, and be able to sell them on for a profit. Um, but say for the league, it was big too. Um, so, yeah, keep keep uh, watching this space and keeping my fingers crossed for Miguel, for sure. Atlanta isn't the only MLS franchise to put a, a big emphasis on that kind of Latin American market and you know in, in terms of the kind of culture of the club and the, the signings as well uh, into Miami are evidently doing something similar LA Galaxy historically as well do you think others are going to kind of follow that blueprint given the, the success that you've had in, in such a you know it's a, still a franchise in its infancy but already very well established and, and very successful um, yes I do think that you know it's uh, you know that that model will continue now it's becoming more difficult because the South American markets are kind of um, now, uh, you know, seeing the success of players like Miguel, who have who have moved to Atlanta and then gone on. They naturally then want more for the players in the first place. Um, so Argentina, for example, is a is a very expensive market now, and you you often overpay. Um, so it's a bit more difficult to to get a, a story like Miguel, but. You know, I think that clubs coming in as new franchises, they either typically go one or two ways. They either go like an Atlanta United and an Arthur Blank and really heavily invest and and maybe go down that route of wanting to to buy and sell on, or they go the other route, which is to to try and do it on a on a on a, pro, a very tight budget, I'd say. Um, and you see that with the likes of like FC Cincinnati, um, and you know, naturally those kind of teams have found it difficult as a result. Um, but yeah, I definitely think you know that that model is going to going to continue because at the moment that's where MLS is. That's where we sit. We're we're not a league at the moment where players are going to be if they're in their absolute prime. Um, they're going to want to go to Europe. You know, every player uh, wants to be in Europe, um, and if MLS can be a stepping stone for that, um, then then so be it. But I don't think we're at the stage yet where players would naturally choose to spend their best years here um so yeah i think it's going to continue as a model um as you said into miami um had a you know had a good crack at it last year um very difficult circumstances to to play your first season like um with everything that happened with covid so um i expect them to to be better in 2021 um uh, and it's almost like they're getting a start, a, a chance to start again. Um, but you look at LAFC, um, you know, LAFC who come in the season after us have been phenomenal, to be fair, since they've been in. Um, and, you know, they are very similar to us in that they go and acquire young talent from South America. Um, and they've put a, an exciting product on the pitch and uh, they've got players who do have sell-on value. Um, so, yeah, I think I think a lot of clubs will, will see that and... and take something from it and want to kind of, you know, incorporate it into their business plan themselves. Well, we'll take a very short break and then we'll be back for the final part of today's episode of Laptop Gurus when we ask Lucy a bit more about her day-to-day role at Atlanta United and how the club recruits new talent. Don't go anywhere. Hi, I'm Jamie Carragher and you're listening to Laptop Gurus from 23. Welcome back to Laptop Gurus. Today we've got Lucy Rushton, Head of Technical Recruitment and Performance Analysis at MLS's Atlanta United with us. We've covered an awful lot of topics. The the final thing I really want to drill down into with you, Lucy, is your day-to-day role at Atlanta. You've got an incredibly uh, impressive, very grand title. It sounds like it covers an awful lot. Can you just tell us what that actually means? What where does your remit kind of begin and end? Yeah, you know what? It's changed. It's changed massively over over the five years I've been here. Um, yeah, and that's you know due to the growth of the department and 
you know, being able to kind of just uh, funnel myself into one area. But, you know, at the start, it was very much uh, everything, everything scouting video and data. Um, so it was purely like using both, you know, both my visual, my, my subjective opinion and my objective opinion to present players, to find players um, and ultimately, you know, to help uh, the club acquire them. Um, we then had a team. So you then add that new dynamic in of then, OK, well, now we need to actually assess our team as well. Um, and typically the, the, the manager is always at Atlanta United, the, the head coach here, has always brought an analyst in with him. Um, but that analyst has very much been a, a kind of coach analyst who is more video based. Um, and we never really had anyone to, to look after the data at first team level. Um, so that that became part of my role as well, um, obviously using uh, using all the data resources we have to to assess our own team's performance and the individual players within that. Um, as we now progressed, um, what we were able to do is, is basically develop that department. Probably for the first kind of three years, it was just myself, um, Carlos and Paul. Um, and, uh, you know, we had some external scouts, but that was it. We, we were the staff. So obviously I'm having to watch players heavily at that time. And the data was probably more on the back burner because watching was more important. Um, we then were able to bring in um, a couple of members of staff within the scouting department. Um, and now we've got, we're up to now, one, two, three, we're up to having four kind of full-time um, scouts, as it were, members of the scouting department who can purely and solely base their time on, uh, on video analysis, on, on scouting. Um, and that's allowed me then to transition over more to a data role um, and just work purely on data analysis. So I do data analysis now for whether it be we're targeting players, um, we're looking to identify players um, or on our first team and to provide feedback to the manager on our performance um, as a first team, but also to provide that feedback to the technical director um, and to help us in our in our recruitment process. So, uh, yeah, the role has changed from being like purely or mostly subjective to a combination of both to more so data to pretty much predominantly data. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the job title, yeah, is, and you know what, it's funny that the job titles in, in America are, uh, are quirky and a bit different to what you see in, in England. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit elaborate, but it's pretty straightforward when you actually just get down to it. You mentioned data there. How, how much of a part does that play in the kind of the process of identifying talent? Is it the start point for a deeper dive, something where you then can dispatch a scout to... To go and look at a player in, in, in person, how does it how does it actually work in practicality? Um, yeah, so when you're using it at that identification stage, we're basically doing so to uh, to whittle down what is an absolutely, you know, hundreds of thousands of players to try and whittle that down to a manageable number for our, our scouts to then go and watch. Um, that is driven more at, at the watching stage, watch on video not go and watch live um you know where we're where we're positioned in the world a any game to watch any other game other than atlanta united or pro team is a flight um and obviously that comes with an expense so you know we have to be efficient in our scouting and so we use data to at that early stage to to try and kind of funnel the players um and then give our guys right okay well here's the top five in this position which meet the criteria which we have set in our in our positional profiles um go and watch those and they may from those then pull out one or two um to then drive them on in their later processes it's only really when we get later into the process that then we might go and see the player live um uh, so yeah it, at, at that kind of identification stage the data is used just to to really kind of funnel out and kind of get rid of a lot of fuzz and to really just give us a more manageable pool of players to go and look at. Okay, and the the kind of from start to finish then, if if we assume that that's the, the sort of start, what kind of, what follows to, right through to, I suppose, when you hand it off to the, the front office to actually get the signing over the line? Yeah, so, so obviously, as you said, from then then, from there then, um, you know, when we're interested in a player, data becomes used more to really go in depth and assess that player compared to where does he rank compared to all the other players in that position in his league? Um, 
how do we predict his performance to be in MLS? Um, how does he compare to the players we've already got here? How does he complement them? Um, all of those kind of things we're looking to do from a subjective point of view, but also from a data point of view. Um, and, you know, we go really in depth on that and we provide, say, in-depth st statistical reports to the technical director so that he can then go to our president um, and then in turn our club owner and ask him to, to spend money on this player. Um, we're really trying to get to a stage where it's not just doing our, you know, our due diligence, we're really trying to reduce the risk of, of making a bad signing and go into that signing with as much confidence as success. Um, so yeah, that latter stage, it's kind of like the full product. We've got his players being watched probably 10, 12 times, whether it be on video or live in person. Plus we've got an extensive kind of data set on the player and we compile it all together and it's all kind of comes together as, as the end product. When you're using the kind of the data and the tool, the analytics tools that you, you obviously employ, what aspects are important to you? Is it things like being able to discover insights on players quickly, the the visualization of that data, what really, you know, what makes your job easier? Um, yeah, I think like the visualization of the data is a big one, especially when you're working with, you know, technical directors or, or, or presidents or club owners who don't have that same insight into the, the game, maybe, um, uh, uh, as, as the analyst does. Um, and so presenting that data and making and communicating it in the best way is, is crucial. Um, uh, you know, hence why, um, certain products are, are, are just more valuable than others or, or combinations of products go well together. Um, so 23 Sport obviously is fantastic um, resource for us in terms of its visualizations, you know, and, and we use that heavily um, when we're trying to communicate a point because one, one pitch diagram can kind of say what a thousand words can say. So for us, that is, that's massive. Um, obviously having a massive data to hand as well um, is in that early identification stage or even when you're targeting a player you still need to have the data from every other player in his league to compare him to so being able to access data and manipulate things to what you want to see and be able to run that quickly um, is is just fundamental which again you know 23 sport is great at as well aside from the kind of i suppose the short-term needs of the head coach what do you do the rest of the time as it were what what is your kind of focus if you're not looking for say a, a new left back for the upcoming uh season or or transfer window or whatever it may be well there's always players to watch so um if you're not if you're not building for for now for immediate you, you, we're preparing for the summer transfer window now already. Um, you know, and we're preparing, we're we're preparing for winter. Okay, so we know a player is coming out of contract maybe in the winter, or what is our long-term kind of uh, projection for all of the players in our roster, and who maybe do we anticipate to not be here next year? Um, okay, so who do we then need to bring in? So the scouting is is never ending. You are always scouting for players um, because you always have a projection of what your team needs to be like or will be like in six months' time or twelve months' time. Um, you need to be you need to be ready. You need to be ready for a club making an offer for your player. Um, you know, if if a club comes in and, and offers us 15, 20 million for one of our players, um, you we're probably going to take it. And, you know, at that point, then you need to replace that player. So you have to be ready um, for any kind of scenario or situation. You know, what if your starting left back gets an injury that rules him out for the season? OK, well, do we have someone in the roster to, um, to be able to take over from him? Or do we need to... Um, do we need to have a backup, you know, or, or do we have to have someone ready to bring in if that scenario happens? So you always kind of got a player or position that you can be looking for. Um, when I'm not doing scouting, because hey, that was only part of my role, um, uh, yeah, analysing the first team's data is, is massive for us because, again, it allows us to assess where we are as a team um, in terms of our our principles and playing styles that we set out at the start. So there's this continue kind of continual kind of monitor, monitoring of our own team and assessment of performance. And it can be really ad hoc. You know, you play on a Saturday and um, 
God, we look bad at crossing today. So, hey, let's go really in depth and see how how we've done for crossing all season. And it kind of then leads you into a a bit of a rabbit hole and you can go down multiple avenues of of data analysis. So um, that's a part of my role. Um, I'd say the other things I do is is really to keep keep up to date with with new softwares. Um, You know, I want to be innovative. I want to be knowledgeable about what's out there and what's coming out and hey there's a new product coming out like well damn i need to see it because i need to see if it's better than the product we've already got so um you know keeping abreast of that and just keeping ahead of the game in that kind of things is really important to me um so i spend a lot of time doing that um and then if i can i like to try and get a bit of time to to learn something new you know whether it's uh, develop my skills in in scripting in sports code or um, start using Tableau or become, you know, better in one of us in a statistical package, um, uh, anything like that. You know, I like to try and invest a little bit of time into developing my skills so that I can improve what we do as a club. You mentioned uh, Paul McDonough earlier, obviously, you know, hugely influential previously has now come back to the franchise what's how to how do you kind of work with him is he someone who's kind of the conduit between different departments and 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 how does your yourself and your staff work with the kind of the rest of the front office and and the technical staff as well how much interaction do you guys actually get day to day um yeah you know paul is a is a massive part of this club as i said in terms of his role for for dealing with the cap um he more so um he more so is in line with Carlos um, at that level. Um, so, you know, I very much do the job of, of presenting players and going, right, these are, the, these are the top five, you know, that we as a scouting department have come across for a, for a centre-back. Um, then it goes over to Carlos and Paul more so for the like, OK, which of these five can we make work in the cap? Um, uh, which of them do we have to rule out? Which of them do we need to be clever on? Um, what players might we need to move on to make room for this player? All of that kind of stuff. That That's where Paul really comes into, into his own. Um, and, you know, obviously I have a level of involvement in that, but um, it's that's, yeah, very much kind of a, a slightly different kind of department, if it were, to, to where we scout in that early stage. And then final couple of things from me, Lucy. Firstly, the, the thing I, I touched on earlier, but the future of kind of, uh, of you, of your job of, of the sphere you work in you know you've you've mentioned some things but what what do you see you know in the in the pipeline what would you hope for um in the kind of data and analytics world to to make your job you know not necessarily easier but to aid you in in your job going forward what's on the on the cusp do you think yeah i think um the you know going forward and where we are now it's it's really this continual development of um, combining the physical data with the technical data um, to actually start to see more in-depth statistics, um, uh, sequential data, um, so sequen- looking more at sequences of play rather than individual events. Um, I expect that's going to continue to grow, and and that for me is massive because if you can start to identify sequences rather than individual events, you you, you can more so um, predict performance or plan against performance etc so that's a massive one for me um, and I would also say as well just like the visualization of data um, you know we touched on it earlier um, that that is going to be always going to be massive because you know as analysts we can look at ugly edit, ugly excel spreadsheets all day um, and kind of we have the eyes for it but you have to present stuff to to technical directors, coaches, whoever it is that is not an analyst. You have to pre- present stuff that they understand um, and which is easier on the eye for them. Um, so for me, yeah, always kind of um, new ways to, to better ways to improve the communication of data is going to be huge. And then very finally, we're in the middle of March now. As we t- chatted prior to starting recording. The season is not very far away in the grand scheme of things where are you 
in your preparations you mentioned you're obviously looking at you know next summer in terms of recruitment already and and what are the aims for the season ahead for the five stripes yeah we've had a really busy off season i think anyone who follows us will, will know that we've um, had a lot of players go and a lot of players come in and and we needed that we needed to 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 freshen up the roster and change um because last season uh, we underperformed um so we needed to make some changes uh, we've obviously got a new manager in as well um and the team has now been back pre-season training for a couple of weeks. And, you know, as you get with any new manager, there's a real kind of buzz and excitement around the place um, because it's like every player has that new, fresh opportunity um, to, to go again. Um, we, we are always going to be um, aiming for to, to win MLS Cup, to, to win the Supporters' Shield, to, to win US Open um, Cup, to, to go far in the Champions League. You know, as a club, we've set that benchmark from the start and that's going to be our expectation again this season. Um, you know, and it's been great just seeing the players train because you see the energy in the place um, and you see uh, you see a real motivation from the players and you see organisation and it's, it's starting to come together as the manager gets his, his ideas and principles across. Um, and yeah, I think that um, I think that Atlanta United fans are, are in for an exciting season. Um, uh, lots of goals, hopefully, um, and uh, lots of excitement on the pitch. You know, we try and be a fast-paced team. Um, we want to, we want to, we want to have possession, but we want to have meaningful possession, and we want to intact, want to attack. So, um, yeah, hopefully, we can get back to uh, get back to the Atlanta United way uh, more so this season than than maybe what we've seen over the last two years. And uh, I think the fans are, are in for a treat. Excellent. Well, if it's anything like the last few years, then uh, fingers crossed. I think, as you say, fans are uh, in for an exciting year ahead and hopefully at least a few getting back into the stadium going forward as well. Lucy, thank you ever so much for your time today. Really, really do appreciate you joining us on Laptop Gurus. Make sure you are following 23 on Twitter. It's at 20, the word, three, the number, sport. And you can find out more about us by visiting our brand new website, 23.sport or emailing info at 23.sport finally never miss an episode by subscribing via apple google spotify or anywhere else you get your podcasts 